0: She was this gun-toting, whiskey-drinking broad. the super epic fucking broad.
1: She was a pioneer in the industry. She's
0: also so famous and so controversial.
1: So controversial.
0: So she's kind of a big fucking deal. Her story is so incredible. She belongs on this podcast because she's a broad you should know. Hello and welcome to Broads You Should Know, the podcast about amazing and noteworthy women from history. I'm your host, Sarah Gorski i'm sam Eggers. i am chloe sky and i am here today with one of my favorite broads i've been so eager to do her since we started this podcast i am gonna do frida kahlo i love frida
1: love frida too Frida.
0: so let's just start at the beginning she has a huge life so i'm gonna try to hit the major points but i'm like also just gonna primarily hit the stuff that i feel like like the movies and the the glossy version of frida is not talked about Because little did I know, she was like super ill so much of her life and so much of her art is kind of rooted in her health problems, which I find really interesting and which I literally didn't know I had any idea that she had that, that difficulty. So Frida is born July 6th, 1907. Her name is Magdalena Carmen Frida Kahlo y Calderón. And she's born in Coyocá. Oh, I can never say this one. Coyoacán, which is a village on the outskirts of Mexico City. And she says that she was born in... in the house that is very famously hers, like in all the, the histories and the pictures and all that stuff, is La Casa Azul, the blue house. And she says that she was born in it, but other historic documents say she was actually born at her grandma's house a few blocks away. Scandal! <laughs> mm,
1: but that house wasn't blue.
0: <laughs> it wasn't. It's not nearly
1: as good a story.
0: <laughs> it's not... Nearly as good a story. And you know what? Frida knew good stories. Um, She, indeed. Her father's name was, it was Wilhelm and Guillermo. I'm not sure why both or if one was a nickname. But he was a German photographer. And her mother was Matilde Calderon y González. And she was Mestiza. So she was a mix of indigenous Oaxacan and Spanish. Frida described her house growing up really as very, as quote, very, very sad She said that there was little love between her parents and that her mother was very tense and cruel and kind of a religious fanatic, but she had a great relationship with her father. But when she was six years old, she contracts polio and she's laid up for a few months. She's delayed starting school with the other kids her age. And at the end of it, after she's all better, she finally kicks it. She is left with a right leg that is shorter and thinner than her others. So polio kind of messes her up right from the get-go. And when she's stuck at home, her father is very attentive and he encourages her to exercise, which at the time they, like, didn't want girls to exercise. They were like, that's for boys. And then he also encouraged her to read and to learn. And she started helping him with his photography business. And she would help him with the retouching and the developing. And then when she was well enough from the polio, she was finally able to go back to school. So she went to a local school and then she was homeschooled for a little bit. And then she finally got accepted to this, this big, fancy German school, which her father was thrilled about, obviously, for, for obvious German reasons. <laughs> obvious German reasons. <laughs> um, uh, and then uh, as soon as she gets to the German school, though, she's, she's basically expelled for disobedience. She's, she's too unruly for the German school. Mm -hmm. Dang. So she's sent to a, a different school, a vocational teacher's school, they say, but apparently she didn't stay there long either because, um, supposedly she was abused by one of the female teachers. Ooh, that's like, she's not a good stretch of, of luck here at the very beginning. In 1922 though, she's accepted to the elite national preparatory school, which had just started accepting women. So, of the 2,000 students, only 35 of them were women. Uh, and she was incredibly focused on the natural sciences and becoming a doctor. She had this dream of being a doctor.
1: Was that be- she because did- of her health issues?
0: I don't know. I mean, the polio, maybe because she saw a lot of doctors and she was inspired by it, or, mm. you know, she was very smart. She did super well in school, she did great academically. And then also while she's in school, she like really was starting to dive in and embrace her Mexican culture, and she was getting into political activism and social justice. Um, the school she was going to, they had this very specific influence called Indigenísimo, which is a sense of the Mexican identity, like the indigenous Mexican identity. And they, so they took a lot of pride in that, like as a school and the heritage, and they were really trying to kind of slough off the colonial European mindset that had kind of been brought into Mexico and embraced that indigenous culture more. Um, so she loved all that and she dove right into all that. She got really close with a bunch of her classmates. They, they called themselves the chuchuchas, the, or <laughs> cachu, cachuchas. God, my Espanol is no bueno. <laughs> uh, my neighbor would be horrified. Um, so, uh, the, Cachuchas were were named after the peaked cloth caps that you wore as a sign of subver- subversion against the rigid dress code of the period, um, and a bunch of and it, you know down the road a bunch of these friends would go on to become leading figures in the Mexican intellectual community and the, like, kind of the elite like I don't know bourgeoisie elite kind of in the future around this time. <laughs> No surprise, Frida begins to tell people that she has been born on July 7th, 1910. So she was born July 6th, 1907. She starts to tell people she was born July 7th, 1910, the year of the Mexican Revolution, because she wanted to be a daughter of the Revolution. <laughs> so she starts lying about her birthday so she could be a daughter of the Revolution.
1: Seems like something you would do, Sarah. <laughs>
0: what are you talking about? <laughs> I do not <laughs> Um, But then on September 17th, 1925, she's riding the bus with her then boyfriend. Um, and the bus collides with a streetcar in this horrific accident. A bunch of people die. Frida breaks both of her legs, her collarbone some ribs, and a steel handrail impales her pelvis.
1: Oh God! I and don't it I didn't remember her... how gruesome that was, but yeah,
0: yes, it shatters her pelvic bone and displaces three of her vertebrae. So she already like had dealt with the polio and had the short leg or whatever, but this accident significantly alters the course of her whole life. Actually, she was immobilized a super long time in the mo- in the movie. They have they show the like full body cast she's laying in and all that and. Like what? Like when you break things like that to such an extent, that's what you're like laying in this full body cast. So she she couldn't go to school. She couldn't keep. She, so her plans for being a doctor are totally ruined, and she was in a ton of pain. And even as she started to slowly be a little more mobile, she couldn't sit or stand for really long periods of time. And she was on bed. She was on bed rest almost like two full years recovering from this accident.
1: Oh, she must have been so bored.
0: Well. She was bored, but this also is the time when she starts to explore painting more seriously. Um, So her parents kind of help set up this specially made easel for her so she can paint in bed. And she also has a mirror placed above her head, like uh, on the ceiling, so that she can kind of like see herself and paint herself. Um, And it became painting becomes this outlet for her to explore her questions specifically about identity and existence. Um, And later in a statement, she said that the accident and the isolating recovery period made her desire, quote, to begin again, painting things just as I saw them with my own eyes and nothing more. So when her bed rest is finally over, two years later, she's able to hang out with her old gang again. Um, And now they were all, at this point, they're all in college. So they're done with high school, they're all in college. Um, And the Communist Party is becoming this huge, hot, young people thing to do. So she joins the Mexican Communist Party um, and she's introduced to this whole circle of um, political activists and artists. Uh, people, other people in this group were the, there was an exiled Cuban communist, uh, Julio Antonio Mella. Uh, and then there's this Italian-American photographer, Tina Modotti. Um, in the movie, that's Ashley Judd. Remember when they do that like sexy dance together? Mm. Ashley Judd, Judd is playing Modotti. Um, and at one of Madhuri's parties in June of 1928, Frida is introduced to Diego Rivera. This other another huge moment in her life. Um, so Diego Rivera, for people who don't know, was an, is, an, is slash was an extremely famous uh, Mexican artist. And specifically, he was a muralist. And all the artists of the time who were very famous in Mexico were... M- muralism was kind of like the thing that Mexican artists did. Um, so the funny story is that they had actually met in 1922 when he was painting a mural at her school. And there was one article I found that said she burst into the cafeteria where he was painting and she played pranks on him and shit like that. Um, so then shortly after they were reintroduced as adults this time, now that Frida's not in high, in high school or earlier, (laughs) um, Frida asks him to judge whether or not her paintings show enough talent for her to pursue her career as an artist. Uh, And Diego says, he was quoted later saying that her work showed, quote, an unusual energy of expression and precise delineation of character and true severity. They had a fundamental plastic honesty and an artistic personality of their own. It was obvious to me that this girl was an authentic artist. Diego was 20 years older than her at this point. So he was already like a revered artist when he was muraling at her school. (laughs) And then this is even later. Uh, He already had two common law wives, but he was totally taken with Frida and fell in love with her Uh, and they get married on August 21st, 1929.
1: What happens to the common-law wives? That's what I want to know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where do they go? <laughs>
0: you know, I didn't do my own research on them, but in the movie, if you remember, she becomes friends with one of them.
1: Oh, really? <laughs>
0: she, like, lives upstairs and still cooks in breakfast, and then they become <laughs> friends. Um, now, I don't know if that part of the story is true, so listeners, don't quote me on <laughs> that. That was happened in the movie, though. <laughs> um, I shouldn't quote the movie as facts. We all know movies are very seldom facts. Um, her mother was very opposed to the marriage, uh, and they both called it a marriage between quote, an elephant and a dove because R- Diego was like this huge, pretty overweight dude. And, and Frida's this like super tiny, um, especially cause the polio like kept her short. She was really tiny and fragile, but ultimately her father did approve of their marriage because Diego was super wealthy and was able to support Frida who couldn't really work and had really expensive medical treatments because of all this, you know, all the the accidents and stuff like
1: that. Do what you
0: gotta do. And uh, so Diego's a huge celeb already in the Mexican art world, so their wedding was, like, widely reported, and it got a lot of international and local press, and it was their marriage was a constant media attention, the tabloids, the equivalent at the time of tabloids, um, and then they, they were referred to as simply Diego and Frida. <laughs> they were like this celeb couple. <laughs> um, before they put the names together, they at least had like the first names. <laughs> and they, um, after they get married, they moved to Cuernavaca in the rural state of Morelos, where Diego had been commissioned to paint murals for the Palace of Cortez. And Frida starts jumping into her mestiza and indigenous heritage much more. She starts to wear those traditional indigenous Mexican peasant clothing, especially women from the allegedly matriarchal society of the Isthmus of Tehuantepec, who had come to represent an authentic and indigenous Mexican culture heritage in post-revolutionary Mexico. So it was a cool time where she was like really digging into that. Um, Indigenous history. And then in 1930, after Diego finished the commission, they both moved to San Francisco because he had some more commissions there. This was also the time... I should start this by saying that Diego is not... He is not a loyal husband. He loves women. He is a woman... He is, like, known in all of the articles... Like, nobody defends him. He is known to be this huge womanizer. And in the movie, at least, they... They just, you know, they they kind of, cause because um, she she also what I was gonna about to say is that she she begins this long love affair with this Hungarian American photographer Nicholas Murray while they were in San Francisco, um, and and in the movie they kind of justify it by like well, she's making it work because her and Diego just have this arrangement where he loves women and he can't help it, and then she needs the same kind of thing, and so they just make it work so. So she starts to have this affair. You know, they, they note this affair, but I just wanted to tell say that Diego cheated first. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, And this becomes kind of a theme in their marriage throughout the rest of it, too. So more on that coming soon. Uh, and in 1931, they go, they go back to Mexico City, but then they return in the fall to New York because Diego has a retrospective at the Museum of Modern Art. And then after that, they go to Detroit because he has another commission in Detroit, Um, And at this point, like, so Frida's not really been known as an artist. Like, Diego certainly respects her as an artist, but she's not, like, famous. She hasn't sold a lot of paintings. And she's kind of, like, even painting on these, like, small copper. She's doing a lot of self-portraits on, like, circles of copper is kind of what she was doing at the time. But at this point, they've been married a couple years, and she starts to feel a little bolder. So when they arrive in Detroit, the press interview her, and they ask her about her husband. And there's this great quote where she says, Quote, of course, Diego does well for a little boy, but it is I who am the big artist.
1: Damn right. (laughs) Damn right. right. (laughs) Claim your (laughs) work, Frida.
0: (laughs) She has a rough time in Detroit, though. She kind of hates it. She finds Americans, quote, boring, and she (laughs) hated colonial capitalist qualities of America. She, They were, like, at all these, like, parties with all these rich fuckers, at, with, like, Henry Ford and his wife, and she hated these parties. She hated these, like, elite parties they were going to. Uh, and she also was really pissed that there was a lot of this, like, there's all this insane racism in America. These All these Detroit hotels wouldn't accept Jewish guests, for example, and she was infuriated about it.
1: Good on her, all progressive and stuff.
0: Yeah. I know, right? She There's a letter that she wrote to a friend where she, she says, quote, Although I'm very interested in all the industrial and mechanical development of the United States, I feel a bit of rage against all the rich guys here, especially since I have seen thousands of people in the most terrible misery without anything to eat and with no place to sleep. And that is what has most impressed me here. It is terrifying to see the rich having parties day and night whilst thousands and thousands of people are dying of hunger. End quote. She also gets pregnant when they're in Detroit. And she doesn't want to get... She's very... um. I
1: can't imagine pregnancy is good for her body.
0: Mm-mm. Well, that... I think she also just didn't... She didn't have particular feelings about being a mother. You know, some women are like, Oh, I want to be a mother my whole life. She was very kind of meh about it. Like, she, she didn't feel strongly that that's something she wanted. So she tries to get an abortion, but the medication fails, and and then they try to convince her to keep it. There's a whole sequence in the movie about it. That's mm. I'm not sure how accurate it is, but um, and then she ends up losing the baby anyway because uh, I'm sure because her pelvis has lots of problems from right. ha- being shattered in that accident. And because it um, knew it
1: wasn't wanted. Yeah, mm. but the
0: miscarriage also causes a serious hemorrhage, and she's in the hospital for like two weeks. It's a disaster. Her health is a disaster, like, this whole time, she's, it seems like. And her mother dies around this period, too, which, like, she, you know, wasn't crazy about her mom, but it still can't be easy to have your mom die. So they go from Detroit, they go back to New York in 1933 because Diego's commissioned to paint a mural at the Rockefeller Center. Uh, and he paints this huge mural, and inside the mural, this part is is in the movie, um, he paints a portrait of Lenin. Because at this point, they're, like, pretty huge communists like they they love they're like they Mex- Mexican communist party they're very supportive of it so he paints a portrait of Lenin which not just a portrait there's all these faces you know all over the mural but there's one piece of Lenin and the guys the Rockefellers are like oh you have to black that out you can't include that and he refuses and they fire him and so they send him home <laughs> they're like fuck you when they send him home so they go back to Mexico City Uh, Frida's health still, is like, she's still struggling. She has an appendectomy. She has two different abortions. And she also has to have some gangrenous toes amputated. Jeez. Yikes. And things aren't going good with Diego. He's like being a super unloyal husband dis- disloyal husband he's such a cheater he wasn't happy to be back back in mexico he blames frida for their return to mexico even though he's the one who wouldn't get rid of the lennon portrait and then he also proceeds to have an affair with her youngest sister gross so like he's been having affairs this whole time but then he fucks her sister who she like it was pretty close with and it is, like, a huge, like, more so than all the other affairs, fucking her sister really is very upsetting to Frida. Oh, yeah.
1: I kind of wonder the mind state of, of the sister and choosing to go along with that.
0: I don't know. I didn't see articles about it. In the movie, in the movie they make it like he seduces her, kind of, and mm. she's a, this lonely single woman who is in this loveless marriage, blah, blah, blah. I, so I don't know how much of that is true. I'm sure a lot of that's Hollywood. I don't know. I don't know. If I had a sister and she did that, I don't know. But I don't have a sister and I'm not in that situation. Mm. Um, so Frida's incredibly hurt and she moves into her own apartment, actually. And she con- considers divorcing him. And she has another affair of her own. And they sort of reconcile in 1935, and she moves back in, but they still keep their separate apartments, like separate studios. And in the movie, um, I don't know if you guys remember, in the movie, they have these this like bridge between their two apartments that are next to each other, and they go back and forth. And It's like sort of cute, but then also kind of sad when you know they had all these issues and stuff like that. So they reconcile in 1935, she moves back in, um, and they also kind of resume some of their political activities now that they're back. So they join the Fourth International, and they become founding members of a solidarity committee to provide aid to the Republicans in the Spanish Civil War. And her and Diego also successfully petition the Mexican government to grant asylum to Leon Trotsky. Uh, and they offer up their house, La Casa Azul, for him to stay with him and his wife. And this is all in the movie. To Jeffrey Rush plays Leon Trotsky, <laughs> and so they become really good friends. And they say that the the couple, Trotsky and his wife, live there from January nineteen thirty seven till April nineteen thirty-nine. Um, and they become really good friends and they also Frida also has an affair with Trotsky. Whoa! <laughs> there you that go. does that does happen in the movie. It's very sensual in the movie too. It is oh. like I watched the movie and I was like, Whew Cold Glass of Water. Jeffrey Rush. Ooh, Jeffrey dude. Rush and Salma <laughs> Hayek. It's like it's very Makes me want to watch it again. Yeah. <laughs> um, so in the in the midst of all this time, she's really kind of developing her own artistic style. She's drawing her own inspiration. She's not a muralist like Diego is at all. She never does that. She does her own thing. Like I said, she was um, drawing on the the copper paintings. Um, her main inspiration was Mexican folk culture, and it was mixed elements from pre Columbian and Catholicism. Because she had, she was you know she was born into Catholicism, and her mom was so religious. And her paintings end up being, these are like art word, these are like the art world words for things. I'm not gonna pretend I, I really know. <laughs> but um, they say that her paintings were this blend. It was kind of, they were very surreal. Um, and they attracted the attention of this really famous surrealist, Andre Breton, who arranges for Frida to do a, her first solo exhibit uh, at this gallery in New York in 1938. And the exhibition is a huge success. And she has another exhibition right after that in Paris in 39. Um, and the French exhibition isn't quite as successful, but the Louvre purchases a painting from her. Um, the Frame is the painting they purchased. That's the name of it. And she becomes the first Mexican artist to be featured at the Louvre.
1: Oh. Cool. Very exciting. That's cool.
0: Yes. And so all that exciting. So her our career is starting to grow. She's starting to, to do better. And then in uh, on August 21st, 1940, Trotsky is assassinated, and Frida is suspect is, is a suspect in his assassination, and she's arrested. Whoa. Her and her sister, Christina, the one that fucked Diego, <laughs> are both arrested, <laughs> and they're held for two days. Oh my God. And then they're let go. I, it, it, because of their kind of communist party activities, I think they're just for like all these, and because they had lived together, and they had all, like all these relationships and stuff, she was just a suspect. And Diego as well. Diego is suspected as well. So uh, the following month after she's released, she goes to San Francisco, um, partially for a medical treatment. She has all this back pain, and she has a fungal infection in her hand. Her health like, continues to be this oh. Damn. huge disaster, and she's drinking more and more. But Diego also goes to San Francisco, so he he, he flees uh, following the Trotsky stuff. Everything is just like feels really hot in Mexico, and they're like, we gotta get out of here for a little bit. And so he also goes to San Francisco. Uh, he accepts a commission there, and while they're both there, they they are, do kind of reconcile a little bit. After all, the sister fucking business, um, and they remarry. They had they had been divorced, but they remarry in a simple. I think I skipped the divorce one. How did I do that? Anyway, they remarry. <laughs> I missed that bullet somehow. I got distracted. Frida's got so many interesting things. Um, they remarry uh, in December 1940, but her health is still like lame balls. Um, there was one of the articles talked about her having having to wear 28 separate supportive cors- corsets to help her keep her back, give her back support. At the then they same all varied. time? No, I think she went through different versions, varying between steel and leather and plaster. Between 1940 and 1954, she had 28 oh, good separate Lord. corsets. Oh, and she had horrible. pain in her legs and this infection in her hand, which like wouldn't go away. It kept coming back. She also had syphilis. Ugh. I mean, well, when you marry somebody
1: who's uh, having that many affairs, it's uh, yeah,
0: bad. yeah. And then her father dies in forty-one, in nineteen forty-one, and she really just like it is the pits for her. She gets goes down into a huge depression. Mm. Um, she was increasingly confined to La Casa Azul uh, back, back in Mexico City. And she loved the house and its garden and like a lot of her paintings are her in the garden and the plants and all the animals and some of that's in the movie too. She had all, um, all these different crazy pets including spider monkeys and parrots and all this crazy stuff. But she keeps participating throughout the 1940s in exhibitions, in painting exhibitions in Mexico and the U.S. And she works as an art teacher. She teaches at uh, the Escuela Nacional de Pintura. And Escultura y Grabado La Esmeralda. I hope my neighbor's proud of me. That was pretty good. <laughs> um, and my little, old, my little old lady neighbor who's Mexican, who or she's not Mexican, she's Costa Rican. My apologies. Uh, but she's been teaching, like, helping my Spanish. That's what I'm talking about when I refer to her.
1: <laughs> it sounded um, pretty good to me. Not that I would uh, know, but... And
0: she's gaining, <laughs> like... Yeah, I know, I'm just working on it. I feel proud <laughs> when I get something right. Um, and she, and Frida keeps getting um, more and more recognition in her home country. Um, even though her health sucks, her, she's getting more and more recognition... Um, but by the mid-1940s, her back pain is so, so bad that she can really no longer sit or stand continuously for long periods of time. In June of 1945, she goes to New York for an operation to fuse a bone graft and steel support to her spine to straighten it. And it is an intense, insane operation. And there's this one painting of hers. Um, I'll post these pictures on the website, too. But there's this one painting called The Broken Column. And it's this picture of like her in this brace with like her rib cage open. And you see this like steel column of a spine like splayed open. And it's insane. And it was so painful and incredible. And like reading this history of her health and the surgery, I'm like, oh my God, of course someone creates art like that when they're going through us. Um, And she also like some of her more famous paintings end up coming out of this time period Um, without hope, tree of hope. Stand fast, the wounded deer. Oh, that's a great one too. Oh, this, yeah. she's, mm-hmm. she's the deer, and she's got all these arrows in her. Um, and in 1950, she spends most of the year in a hospital in Mexico City. She had another bone graft surgery, uh, and as she's after she's discharged, she's like really at this point super confined to La Casa Azul. She has to use a wheelchair and crutches to get around. But she is, like, able to, even during this, like, super bad health, she dedicates her time to more political causes. She rejoins the Mexican Communist Party in 1948. She campaigns for peace and collects signatures for the Stockholm Appeal. Um, And then she has her first solo exhibition in Mexico in 1953. Uh, And they do this whole thing in the movie, which is accurate, uh, that she couldn't, the doctors were like, you cannot leave your house and so they actually carry her bed to the to the exhibition so she can be there.
1: Oh, um, that's amazing. Took them long enough to have one. Like, that's kind of I'm surprised no, it took that long.
0: No shit. Well, I think like being like overshadowed by Diego, this like famous dude her whole life. Yeah. He was very well known in his life. Joke's on him. She's now way more famous than he is. Um, so uh, in August of 53. So this is the same year of her exhibition. She has her right leg amputated at the knee. She has, she has this gangrene. These infections just keep happening. She gets super, even more depressed and anxious. She's becoming dependent on painkillers. Diego starts having more affairs. She even attempts suicide by overdose. She's just like so low. There's a quote in her diary in, 54, in 1954. She says, quote, They amputated my leg six months ago. They have given me centuries of torture, and at moments I almost lost my reason. I keep wanting to kill myself. Diego is what keeps me from it. Through my vain idea that he would miss me, but never in my life have I suffered more. I will wait a while. Oh. So she's bedridden. She's got pneumonia, too. And she starts to, like... She starts to, like... After the fact, you can, like, see these, like, big signs that she starts to kind of anticipate and see her death a little bit. She starts talking about it a lot to visitors. She starts drawing skeletons and angels in her diary. And the very last drawing um, in her diary is a black angel accompanied with the words, quote, I joyfully await the exit and I hope never to return.
1: Aww. Ooh, that's powerful.
0: Her and Diego make one more public appearance. Uh, July 2nd, 1954, at a demonstration against the CIA invasion of Guatemala. Against the doctors, the doctor was like, don't do it, don't do it. And they were like, let's do it anyway. I, we gotta be there. We gotta be public. But after the demonstration, her, it just declines her illness even more. She has a high fever. She's in extreme pain. Uh, And at approximately 6 a.m. July 13th, 1954, her nurse finds her dead in her bed. She was 47 years old. The official cause of death... She's only 47 fucking 7. 47 old. That's crazy. Years old. The official cause of her death is a pulmonary embolism, but no autopsy is actually performed. So they never, they never performed the autopsy, but there's a lot of um, speculation from historians that she actually might have committed suicide. Um, the nurse who counted her painkillers... Like was monitoring her drug intake. Said that she had taken an overdose. Overdose the night she died. Like she she was supposed to only take seven, but she took eleven. She also had given Diego a wedding anniversary present. Like a month. Like that evening, even though their anniversary was like a month away. So there's some like crazy, you know, dark stuff. And like they don't. I guess we'll never know. They never performed the autopsy. And she didn't. You know, she she was starting to become famous. Like at the point when she died. But since her death, she's become super famous. Um, yeah,
1: she's one of the first painters that they ever talked about in my like art class in like middle school. She
0: has become this huge symbol, not only of Mexican and Indigenous culture, but also of feminism and LGBTQ rights. Like, she's become this huge figure. And, like, she's really actually, at this point, she's a pop culture icon. Mm-hmm. You know, When you can buy little trinkets with stuff on her. I have, like, this little succulent planter I bought at the Dia de los Muertos festival last year. that has a little Frida face on it. And I have a poster on my wall. Mm-hmm. And, um,
1: well, it's so easy to just, like, put her face on things because that's what she did in so many of her paintings. Yeah. yeah,
0: she did. because, And part of that was just that she was bedridden so much. And she had that mirror above her bed. And she just was stuck in that self-reflection zone. And... You know, I think she's there's all this, you know, you can go look on the Wikipedia page and all these about all the things that have happened since and the recognition she's got since. It's always just so sad to me when, you know, we meet abroad who didn't get the good cred when she was actually alive and didn't really see the she didn't really see yeah. just the income or the recognition all from too it. Common. But, um, but at least, you know, she she did create some incredible, incredible paintings and knowing the history and knowing her life. Um, and when I see those paintings now, and everybody should just go and kind of just do a quick Google and look through them. They are just incredible and profound. And she is such a broad and she put up with so much shit. Like Diego's shit was tense, intense, man. What an mm-hmm. asshole. <laughs> and the
1: horrible, the horrible hand she was dealt with her health. Like it's just she couldn't catch a break.
0: She couldn't, yeah. but she persisted and she created, and she was an and she was an activist. You know, she did, she mm-hmm. did a lot. Yeah, it's like and she it's
1: so good. And to she hear fucked
0: that. Trotsky, man. <laughs> like that alone is so that's a claim. It's fact. so cool. It's so. I mean, say what you will about Trotsky. That guy's, you know, that's a whole separate. That's a whole separate yeah. episode of some kind. But uh, anyway, what do you guys? I mean, you guys think she's a bride? Oh my god. Of course. Def- do you think differently? Fans like everyone knows who Frida is, but do you think differently about her now that you know more? It's so
1: sad knowing s- about the details of her life. I-, I feel like, but it's also you can't help but wonder: would her, would she have created such profound art if she hadn't gone through all of that? I know. That- I don't know. I don't. I don't think you have to suffer yeah. to create art, but. Um, I don't know, it's interesting. It certainly puts you through a certain lens when you're creating. For
0: sure. Yeah, I mean, I think for her it became, I mean, when she first at least started, it was this, like, it was this, like, balm on her problems. It was this way to cope with the bad hand she was being dealt. And I have to think probably it was that throughout her life, in a way, like... I don't know that she was, it didn't sound like based on the things I read that she was like truly seeking fame, even though she was kind of right. sassy and bold in, in Detroit. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, it seems like she, I mean, she wanted to be a doctor and then she accidentally became an artist. Like that's a whole different story than most artists stories.
0: Yeah. Well, anyway, it's already long, so we can wrap it up, but I am okay. so glad we could bring <laughs> you Frida today. So come mm, back next thanks, week. Sarah. Yeah. Come back next week for another broad. You should know. To learn more about Frida Kahlo, see pictures of her and her paintings, and some quotes from this episode, head on over to BroadsYouShouldKnow.com. While you're there, click on over to the About page to read more about me, Sam, and Chloe. Our bios, photos, links to all our cool stuff, all right there. Are you following Broads You Should Know on social? We are on Facebook and Instagram at BroadsYouShouldKnow and Twitter at B-Y-S-K To suggest abroad, fill out the form on our website or email us at BroadsYouShouldKnow at gmail.com. Are you a fan of this podcast? If so, please spread the word about us, share an episode with your friends and family, or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That really helps new listeners to find us. Broads You Should Know is produced by me, Sarah Gorski, and edited by Chloe Sky, with original music by Darren Callahan. Finally, if you were really drawn in by Frida's story, I suggest you check out a few of our other broads of similar flavors. We have our revolutionary broads, Pola Capra La Pola Salavarietta, a Colombian revolutionary, and Hryu Kwon Soon, a Korean revolutionary, as well as the amazing painter Artemisia Gentileschi. See you next week for another Broad You Should Know.